morning, Mercy Hill. For those who are here for the first time, my name is Jonas. I'm from Mozambique, Africa. And uh, I'll be sharing with you guys the word of God this morning from the book of Philippians. Uh, but before I start, I'm going to pray. God, thank you that you're our God. And thank you that you call us your people called by your name. Here we are this morning. Just talk to us, God. And help us to open our hearts to hear your voice this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For those who call Mercy Hill home, um, you guys know that we're, we have a reading plan. Um, and this past week we've been uh, reading in the book of Philippians. Um, that's what I'll be sharing with you guys about this morning. And one thing that, that I'd like to say is the fact that there is so much in the book of Philippians. Um, and it, it felt like, I felt like sharing everything, basically. Like I said, um, like Eric said, uh, in the past time that I was here with you guys sharing my testimony, but over in Mozambique, it takes four, our services over there, they take four hours or three hours or something like that. And, but I felt like if I share all this, it's gonna take four hours. I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna feel at home, actually right? <laughs> but I'm not gonna, it's not gonna take me four hours. Um, I picked a couple of verses from the book of Philippians, chapters one, two, and three that I'll be sharing with you guys about this morning. Um, and just before I start going into it, I'd like to talk about the context in which Paul writes this, um, this letter. At this point in time, Paul is a prisoner. Previously, he was a prisoner in, Caes in Caesarea, where he was, um, he was held um, in a prison with no contact with other people, and then he was transported from Caesarea to Rome, where he was held uh, in a home still as a prisoner. And while he was there, Paul writes this letter to the church of Philippi with the intention of thanking them for the offering that they had given them. Can you guys hear well? I feel like there's a difference in the mic here. Okay. So Paul writes this letter um, to encourage the people of Philippi and also to thank them for the offering that they had, they had given him. And as you know, someone who's in prison, they have no contact with other people. Even though he was in a home at this point in time, and he, he could go around the home, but still he had no contact with people. He couldn't impact people the way he wanted to. Okay? But there were people coming to him, like in the house there were guards. He impacted those people. He preached to those people. He preached to those guards, and they received Christ. And so um, I believe that those people who received Christ, they also impacted other people around themselves. And one thing that I'd like to mention here is the fact that the church of Philippi, they, get, they supported Paul. And I'd like to encourage you guys, you, you have partnership with missionaries. And just like Eric just said here, the partnership that you guys have with the missionaries out there, that is good, that's God's will. The offering that was taken here last week, 
That is the, that is, that makes God happy when you do stuff like that because you're partnering with, you're partnering with them in the work that they're doing, in the mission that they're, going in, they're doing in the field. So the fact that Paul preached the gospel to the guards, it shows me, it's actually convicting to me because this man, he, he couldn't see, you know, a time that, you know, he would have an opportunity to actually preach the gospel to other people. Preaching to the guards, I mean, if it, if it was me in the, in the prison, probably I'd be coming up with excuses like, oh, I'm in prison, I, don't, I can't preach to anyone. I feel like many times we have excuses to not preach the gospel. Because of this, because of that, I can't preach the gospel. But Paul, look at Paul, a prisoner, he's preaching to the prison guards. That's pretty awesome, right? It's pretty awesome. I feel like we need to take a, uh, this example of Paul to impact people with Christ. The first point that I'll be bringing this morning um, it's about God's work in our lives. Actually, I've got three points that I'll be focusing on this morning. The first of which is God's work in our lives, and the second is about humility, and the third is our citizenship in heaven. Now, going to the first point, uh, I would like to, to ask you to open the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. It says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the end of Jesus Christ. I love this verse. And the reason why I love it is, is because it reminds me that God is working in my life. And God is working in your life too. You're here this morning. You came to worship Jesus. That is God's work because in your human nature, you wouldn't, be, you wouldn't even be feeling like coming to church this morning. You wouldn't be willing to, um, to pour your heart to the Lord. You wouldn't be willing to worship Jesus Christ. It's Jesus working in your life. You might be thinking, oh, but what is it that he has started to do in my life? What is it? There are so many things that God does in our lives. So many things. The thing number one that I'd like to mention is the fact that we repent of our sin. Repentance is only from God. Okay? We, in our human nature, we are not going to be able to repent. We are actually going to love our sin. But the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it convicts us from our sin. And it leads us to worshiping him. And that is God's word in our lives. Amen. It's God's word. If you feel disgusted by your sin, it's not you. It's the Holy Spirit. Moving you, moving your heart, moving your mind to not like your sin. It leads you to hating your sin and actually to seeking him and asking for his, his presence in your life. If that's what you feel, 
if you, if you feel disgusted by your sin, that is God's work. God is working in your life. Believe in him. We are not going to be able to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ if he himself does not come into our hearts and help us to believe in him. There are so many people out there who still have questions if Jesus is really God. I personally I have met so many people that do not believe that Jesus Christ is really God. There are people who do not even believe that there is a God. The fact that you believe in him, that means he has worked in your life. He has, start, he has started doing something in your life. Trusting in him. Or not in our daily life, we need to keep our trust in the Lord Jesus. We need to trust in him because there are so many things that are out there that if we do not trust in God, if we do not trust in Jesus, we're going to go astray. We're really going to go astray. And so the trust that we have in our hearts, in him, that is not human. It's something supernatural that comes to us, that Jesus has brought into our hearts for us to worship him, for us to, to be his children. The fear of God. If you fear God, it's not from your human nature. It's God working in your life. God is working in your life. If you desire God, if you desire to have a relationship with God, that is not something from your human nature. It's something supernatural. It comes from Jesus. Jesus himself brings that into your heart. Okay? So Jesus has started work to work in your life. And he promises here that he will bring it into completion. Let me ask you something. How many of you have started a project and were never able to finish it? That makes me feel a little better. <laughs> there are so many things that I've started, but I was never able to finish. And one of them is when, I, when, I, when Eric and I got married in 2011, we, we lived in a little house. Uh, it, has, it had only two rooms, really tiny, but we put everything in there. We shoveled everything in there, and yeah, that's where we lived. And so we decided to build a house in 2011, okay? Uh, it started, and we got to a certain point, and we stopped. Until now, the house is still not finished. It's not finished yet. Maybe you're thinking, oh, a house that has been started in 2011 and it's still not finished, it has to be a mansion, right? No. It's not a mansion at all. And many times the reasons why we don't finish our project is because probably we lack, um, we lack someone to help us to finish it, or maybe we don't have the time to finish it, or probably we don't have the resources to finish it. It could be from any other reason. We human beings do stuff like that. We start things, we don't finish them. But God is not like that. God has started to work in your life, and he promises here that he will bring the work into completion. Amen. That is good news this morning. It's good news. 
I'm excited about that. All you need to do is just to be humble. Be humble to God and just tell him, God, here I am. Here I am. Bring your work into completion. And that sometimes can look scary, right? You can be frightened. Like, if I say that, if I say that prayer, what if God sends me to China? If he sends me to, you know, elsewhere, and I'm going to leave my family here. It can be scary sometimes, right? But if it's God sending you to those places, he's going to provide for you, he's going to make a way, and he's going to complete his work, he promises. He will complete his work. Megan Sheila is going to be going to Africa sometime next year. There is an opportunity for you guys to partner with them. Just like there was partnership between Paul and the church of Philippi, we can partner with Megan with the ministries that she'll be doing over in Uganda. I'm glad that the church here has partnership with um, the church in Uganda um, through Building for Christ. That's exciting. It's God's work. But for that to happen, we need to be humble. We need to let God continue to work in our hearts. Continue to work in our hearts. It's only through him that we can accomplish anything. Because he gives us the strength. He gives us the wisdom. He gives us everything that we need. Even, even at our jobs. Sometimes, I, I do remember sometime in the past, some people saying, um, I'm a teacher, by the way. I, w I was trained as a teacher. I had some, uh, some workmates that were really, really prideful, you know, for the abilities they had. And I feel like many times we're tempted to be so prideful with the abilities that we have. Instead of using those abilities to serve God, we tend to be just prideful and, you know, just go around bragging about them. But those abilities were given by Jesus, were given by God. Use them for his glory. Amen? Use those abilities for his glory. Just be, just be humble. Surrender completely to the Lord. And he's going to use you however he wants. If, as scary as it may be, just surrender. And that leads me to my second point this morning, which is about humility, as I said before. And the book of Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbles himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that 
at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. I love that. I love it. There's going to be one day that everybody, everybody is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You guys do not have to wait for that day to come. You can confess today. Acknowledge him today that Jesus Christ is the Lord. He is God. He is a great example of humility. Great example. And I'll be talking about some, some points here that show that Jesus Christ came to humble himself, to show us, to give us an example of how we can humble ourselves before the Lord and before the people around us. Jesus became man. We can see that in Hebrews 4.15, which says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every aspect, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. This Jesus, that's God, who created the world, who created the things that we can see and those that we cannot see, who created you and I, who knows how our body functions? Who knows us by name? Who knows how much blood we have in our veins? Who knows how many pieces of hair, I don't even know if I could say it that way, how many pieces of hair you have? Who knows everything about us? This God, he humbled himself and he became man. He came to the earth. That is humility. That is humility right there. God creating the world and coming down to live in this world, in, on this earth that he created among men. Okay? That's, that's good news right there. That's good news. And again, Jesus never sinned. He went through everything that we go through. He experienced every emotion that we experienced. Anger. He experienced hunger. He experienced happiness. He went through everything that we go through. So there is no excuse for us not to submit to him and to continue our, with our old life. He became a man, 100% man and 100% God. He had everything in heaven, but yet he chose to come to the earth and live like a human being, like you and I, and to go through everything that we go through. So there is no excuse for us to not, to not resist temptation, to not submit to him, because we have an example here. He gives us an example. Back in Mozambique, we say that um, teenagers are complicated to raise. I'm, I'm sorry if there are teenagers here, but I know that everyone of us have been a, has been a teenager once, right? But that is like, that is something that people say over in Mozambique. Jesus was a child. He was a teenager. He was at that age, but yet he never sinned. He obeyed his father in heaven. He prayed. He had a relationship, a deeper relationship with God. 
And you and I can have that relationship with God this morning through him. Because he died on the cross for us to give us access to the Father. Amen? We can have that relationship with him. Jesus was born in a stable. When I was in Mozambique, I didn't really understand what a stable was. Uh, this, this is the second thing that I've, that I've realized uh, that I have learned when I came to, to the States. Um, I didn't know, I mean, I knew what a stable was from hearing um, in the Bible and for hearing, from hearing people talk about it, but I didn't really have experience of a stable. But when I came to the States, there are so many farmers around, right? Now, one question. Do you have to be very close to the stable to smell it? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. But Jesus was humble and he came. He was born in a stable. The son of the most high God. He was born in a stable. And he was laid in a manger. Laid in a manger. That's humility right there. That's humility. We can find this in Luke 2, 7, and he, which says, and, he gave birth to her, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in, a, in swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for, him, for, for them in the inn. There was no place. They went everywhere looking for a place to stay. They couldn't find any. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us that the owner of the inn had cleaned the, the inn. Uh, the, the owner of the stable, but uh, the owner of the stable cleaned the stable. It doesn't tell us. We don't know. That was something that just, they just thought. Let's go. You know, we can't be in the open. Let's just go to the stable. We don't know if, if it was cleaned. But even if it was cleaned, the stable is a stable. Right? He was born in a stable and laid in a manger, a sign of humility to us. How many of us would be willing to take their baby, newly born baby, to the stable? Even to take the baby into the stable. Okay? But the Son of God was born there. The sign of humility. Jesus has no, had no home to go to when he was on earth. Luke 9, 57 and 58 says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the, of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He did not have a home to go to. sign of humility. Not that he didn't have the power to have a home. That's not the case at all. But here we see that we don't need to have a mansion for us to serve God. Amen? We don't have to have a fancy uh, car. We don't have to have a fancy phone or a fancy TV or you know anything like that for us to serve God. Jesus was here on earth. He did not even have a home to go to. 
and he has a strong relationship with the Father. And you also can have that strong relationship with the Father. Amen? You can. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. That's another example of humility that Jesus gives us this morning. If you guys have ever walked in a dirt road, probably you know what it feels like. Back in Mozambique, most of the roads are dirt roads. And when I was growing up, I had sandals. And in those days, at the time of Jesus, people mostly wore sandals. And they walked around the city wearing sandals. And, and in dirt roads, there is a lot of dust going around. As you walk, there is dust coming into your feet, into your sandals. And sometimes your feet can be disgusting, right? Can smell bad. And here we see Jesus serving his disciples, washing their feet. This is not work that a master would do. This is something that a servant would do. And it shows us that Jesus did not come to the earth to be served, but to serve. Here he was serving his disciples, washing their feet as a sign of humility. God himself being humble and serving humans. That's good news. That's a great example of humility. I've had bosses in my life, people that I worked for, that were really, really, really prideful. And I remember one time quitting my job because I just couldn't stand it anymore. When we're in a position that people have to serve us, sometimes we tend to be prideful, right? Jesus had all the right to be prideful. He is God, son of God. It was the disciples that were supposed to be washing his feet as their, uh, as their master, right? But yet, it's him, it's the master washing his disciples' feet. That's a great example right there. Let's be humble. Let's be humble. Jesus suffered and died for our sins. And many times, when we think about Jesus, we only look at the death. And we're tempted to forgetting about the suffering. There are so many things that Jesus went through when he was here on earth. So many things. He suffered a lot. And we see in scripture that he was hungry when he fasted, right? Do you enjoy being hungry? <laughs> I don't enjoy being hungry. I think Eric knows about that on Fridays. Every time I'm hungry, I want a cheeseburger. <laughs> Jesus experienced hunger when he was on earth. He was beaten. He was mocked. 
They did all sorts of things against him. They wanted to kill him. They chased him because of preaching the gospel. One time he goes to the temple and preaches the gospel. And because the gospel, as it says, is like a two-edged sword, the Pharisees were there. They chased him out of the temple, trying to kill him because of preaching the word of God. He suffered. Jesus suffered so much. But yet, he continued to serve. It says in, P in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to, de to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. That who was righteous, he suffered for the unrighteous. God himself suffers for men to bring men to a relationship with God. And like I was saying, Jesus suffered a lot. Before even he died, it was a process. He suffered so much. He was crucified at 9 o'clock in the morning to only die at 3 o'clock in the morning. You see, all these hours, Jesus was hanging there on the cross. Hanging on the cross for all these hours because of you, because he loves you. And he, he wanted to bring you into a relationship with God. Amen. Jesus is good. I don't know what it would have been. I mean, kind of, I know he would go to hell if he didn't do that. But it's a privilege that we can serve this God. We can serve this Jesus that died for us. It's a big privilege. We live in a world where being humble is not viewed as something positive. Being humble is looked down upon. If you're humble, um, you either are considered not being a man or not being, you know, a masculine man, something like that. This is the world we live in. And everything around us directs us to thinking of ourselves as most important, right? Thinking that everything is about us. The, commercial that, uh, the commercials that we see on TV, they lead us to thinking that everything is, is about us, right? That's how they're designed. Everything is about you. You should do this. You need this, right? You need this. You've got to buy this. And you go, you see advertisements out there, you know, they focus on us, human beings. But that was not the case for Jesus. He humbled himself to show us how to be humble, how we can show humility to other people around us and before God. Not everything is about us. In fact, nothing is about us. It's all about Jesus. Amen? It's all about Jesus. Our desires, our daily desires, do they resemble Jesus Christ? 
It's not wrong to desire to have a good house or a beautiful house or a beautiful car, a nice car. It's cool, right? It's nice to drive in a, in a nice house. I mean, in a, in a nice car and to live in a nice house. It's good. But the motive of your heart has to be focused on Christ. It has to be focused on Christ. In fact, those are blessings that the Lord gives you. They're blessings because God is good and he provides. And Jesus did not look at his circumstances to serve God. Even Paul himself, he did not look at his circumstances. He was in, he was in prison when he wrote this letter to, to the church of, of Philippi. He was in prison. But instead of throwing a pity party to himself, he chose to focus on pleasing God. He chose to preach the gospel, to write this letter and encourage his fellow Christians. Our circumstances here on earth, they're earthly and they're, they're going to end here. Our home is in heaven. And this takes me to the third point, which is the citizenship. Our citizenship. It says in Philippians 3.20, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Erica, my wife, is a citizen of the United States, and she's also a citizen of Mozambique, where I'm from. And for her to become a citizen of Mozambique, it took so long, it took so much of us for us to get there. And many times we, we can be boastful of our citizenship, right? I'm Mozambican. I'm from here. This is my home. This is me when I'm in Mozambique. I can boast of my citizenship. But I can boast even more for being a citizen of heaven. I'm not from here. This earth is a place that I'm, I'm passing. It's like a place that I stopped by when I'm traveling, and I'll continue to travel until my destination. Our destination is in heaven. Our home, real home, is in heaven. Amen. It's heaven. It says here, our citizenship in is in heaven. For my wife to become a citizen, there were a couple of things that we had, we had to do. And I'd like to mention those things to you guys. Um, first thing being, f being married for five years. That was one of the requirements. We had to be married for five years. And after those five years, there was, then we had to start the process of becoming, for her to become a citizen. And they send us these forms, a bunch of papers for, for us to fill in. There was so much they wanted to know. So much about her life, 
about my life. She had to show her birth certificate. She had to show proof of residence. And just on this point here, to prove that she lived in Mozambique, it was, there was so much that I had to do. I went to places that I never thought I was going to go. Because we had to go to the local leader and ask him to write us a document that confirmed that she, was, she lived in Mozambique. And this guy, I didn't know where he lived. I didn't know his home. He didn't have an office anywhere. Everybody who wants that document, they have to go to his house. And to go to his house, a place where I didn't know, I had to ask people, where is the le local leader's house? And they gave me directions. And when I say gave me directions, guys, it's not like here in states where they give you the address and you just type it in your, in your Google Maps and it takes you straight to that place. Over there, there is no address. You only know the neighborhood where you live in. And so I was given the directions. Okay, just go take this road and turn left on the mango tree and count the number of houses. That's literally how it is. And I go, I take the road, and I get there. I found five mango trees. Which one of the mango trees? Finally, when you get to this place, you're going to find a house with a grass roof. I get there, all the houses have a grass, a grass roof. Which one of the houses? I had to look, go to houses and talk to people and ask, is this so-and-so's house? And that takes time. It takes time. It's so much stress. Proof of marriage. We had to prove that we were married. We had to submit our marriage certificate to them. Background check. Erica had to prove that she was not a criminal by showing her background check, her police clearance certificate. And of course, we had to pay. Okay? So these are some of the steps that we had to follow for my wife to become a citizen of Mozambique. You know what the good news is? We don't need any of these to be citizens of heaven. We do not. Not at all. We are already there. Our home is in heaven. We don't need to be in church for five years. We do not need to be in church for five years. We don't need to fill out any forms to be citizens of heaven. We do not need to show a birth certificate. He's the one who created us. He knows when we were born. In fact, he planned it. Even before the, the beginning of the world, he had planned it. I'm going to have so-and-so to be born on this day. We don't need that. We don't need to prove that we're married or to prove that, you know, to, to prove that we're not criminals. He knows us. He knows that we're sinners. Amen. He knows. And yet, he chose to come down and die for us, even though we were sinners. He chose to do so. We don't need to pay any fee to be citizens of heaven. No fee involved whatsoever. It's by grace alone, through Jesus Christ alone. Amen? It's by grace. That's exciting. It's so exciting. 
We did not need to do anything to have this citizenship, but somebody did, and that somebody is Jesus Christ. He died for us, guys. He died for us. As I wrap up here, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And meanwhile, I have three questions which are going to help us kind of meditate in his word and meditate in um, where we are this morning with Christ, with our God. Number one, are you trusting that the Lord really will finish the work that he has started in your life? Are you trusting him to finish the work he has started in your life? Or are you trusting that with your own strength, you're going to finish it? Please trust him. He will finish it. He will bring it to completion. Number two, what does humility look like in this season of your life? What does it mean to be humble? Does it mean that you have to pour your, your heart to someone? To your spouse or to your brother or to your mom? Does it mean that you have to forgive someone? What does it mean to be humble to you in this season of your life? Jesus has shown us an example of humility. What does it mean? Once you figure that out, just follow the steps of Jesus Christ. Be humble because your citizenship is in heaven. Number three, are you living your life here on earth as a citizen of heaven? Being a citizen of heaven is something happy. It is something that should get us excited, right? We should be excited that we will be with this Jesus that was here on earth and he died for us. We will be with him one day. So we should be excited. Live your life on earth as a citizen of heaven. Amen? I'll pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that even though we're sinners, you chose to come. And you chose to suffer. You chose to die for our sins. To bring us back to a relationship with you. Lord, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters this morning that are here. And those that are not here. That God, you would be in their hearts. And just convict them with your message. And just get them to be humble. Get them to believe that the work that you have started in their lives, you will complete it at the day of the Lord Jesus. Help us, God, this morning. Help us this week to be humble. Help us to trust you and to trust that you're going to finish the work you have started in our lives. Help us, Lord, to impact those around us with your word because this is your will. Thank you so much for your goodness and for your faithfulness. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.